when this circumstance and this person and this person have been brought together and then that thing that happens between them, like what would that actually be like? What would that actually feel like? And being open to that experience without predetermining what they think it is, because once you've predetermined it, you know, once you've, once you've decided that, um, that that's it, then that element of discovery has gone. You've lost that element of discovery and, and you are in such great risk and danger of just playing right into that trap, playing right into that stereotype because you've, you've decided, you know what I mean? Like, because you've decided this is what this is about and this is how it goes and whatever. It's like, well, then who cares? This is Way of the Artist with Brandon Colby Cook and Evan Schulte. Identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. Well, I'm not going to say much to start this off, Evan, because I don't really know what we're talking about as far as the title goes. But uh, we had a pretty good little pre-discussion about this, and I am definitely excited to get into it. I think this is an important idea, and I'm 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 excited because I think we're going to work it out as we talk. Um, I'm sure we both have thoughts on it all. And Sorry, honestly, I'm, I'm I don't know I I don't even know what the idea is, Brandon. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know if we have an idea as much as we have kind of a direction. And uh, if anybody's listening and you've read the title, well, you know more than us at this point, because it's something we're going to figure out later. So um, yeah, I mean, look, I think that something that I've kind of stumbled across personally is that everything kind of comes down to really two things. And this is for artistry across the board. And it, and these two things are absolutely vital and it really doesn't matter what your art is. And it's also vital for life. And these two things are one is you got to be present. And two, your focus has to be outward on something relevant to the present. And I can get into more detail about this, but when you're present, you'll know what to put your attention on. And when you're not present, you won't. And also you got to keep your attention in part two, you got to keep it off of yourself. The more attention you put on yourself, the more you kind of create a problem with your creativity and your art and just your general happiness in life. So it's difficult because there is um, a lot of distractions and there's a lot of things that pull us away from the present. And there's also this um, sometimes this idea that we need to look after ourselves and we need to put attention onto ourselves. So For me, at least for the start of this, I think we'll get into a little bit of that or at some point in this conversation and where that takes us and and all the other bits that you're going to throw in, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but that's, that's my piece to start this off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Some of what you're saying, like the presence, uh, part, I agree wholeheartedly with, um, I think that that's, you know, that might be the great art. (laughs) <laughs> you know, of all arts, the art of presence is probably the greatest one for, you know, and the greatest challenge for all of us to learn. And as for, you know, where you're putting your attention and taking your attention off of yourself, 
Um, I have, I, I, I'm, it's interesting you say that because there's like a part of me that I agree with you and a part of me that's sort of raising an eyebrow to it because I think that there's probably a bit more to it than that because there are certain places where, you know, within almost any sort of spiritual or philosophical tradition, um, there's this sort of wisdom of, you know, well, you re revolution starts within kind of thing, you know, like if you really want to change, <laughs> if you really want to change the world, change yourself kind of, kind of thing. Right. So there's that element. However, I think that in respect to art and creation, when you're in the act of creating something, the attention to being taken off of yourself, I think that makes what you said very much more relevant and very much more true. Um, especially as, um, you know, from what I've learned as, as an actor and as a, as a teacher of acting, you know, that was, that was a, a game changer for me in, in the quality of my work, which was, oh, if I take all of the attention that I can and place it over there on my partner and what are they doing? And I can simply respond to that. Um, all of this aliveness came out on its own accord that didn't require me to do all of these sort of acting tips and tricks to sort of manipulate myself into hopefully creating an impactful performance, right? Um, it's a real sort of patch patch job kind of acting, which is how I feel a lot of acting is taught. You know, you learn a bunch of patchwork that just, you know, doesn't really create a kind of a cohesive stream, you know, like a, a continuous line um, that you can work from. I don't know if that made any sense, but, um, you know, just that, that whole notion of if I put my attention, off, if I take my attention off of myself, it's not that I suddenly become unaware of my involvement in something, but that I'm not, by not giving it so much attention, there's less problems, you know, and there's a certain degree of self-awareness that that happens. I, I know I'm talking a little bit here. Let me put this into a little bit of context. So like some of what I teach actors, you know, I teach, um, you know, I'm based in, in Meisner work. There's a point where part of the lesson and where we're, we work with the exercises is, you know, the first priority that we put is like, um, you know, we say, don't do anything unless something makes you do it. And that thing is over there. Right. So the emphasis is like, don't, don't, don't manipulate yourself. Don't try and don't force anything. Don't push anything. Just allow things and don't do anything unless something that the other person did makes you do it. Right. Um, and so once we've explored that a little bit, we say it's like, okay, don't do anything unless something makes you do it. But that thing is also with yourself as well. And essentially that idea is that when you're truly open and available to the other person and to the reality in the present moment of what's actually happening, that, that whole happening has an effect on you, right? But the, the, 
you have to start outward first is kind of where where we begin. It's like when, once you can put your attention out there on what's happening there, then, then um, something happens to you, you know, and there's a certain kind of awareness of what's happening in yourself as well. Um, but again, how much attention you're giving it, you know, you kind of let it go to a certain extent. You're just sort of like, oh, wow, look at that. That's interesting. And you just keep, <laughs> you keep putting your attention out there and you, you just kind of go for, you just kind of go for the ride. Okay. So here's my thought. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. I apologize, everybody. <laughs> no, it's fine. Here's my thought. I think that one of, one of the great needs of humankind is to have a sense of control. We desperately, and I mean desperately, want control. And it's frightening for us to be out of control. And some people, um, they push the realm of control in a way that's awe-inspiring to all of us. And we look at that, and it could be in acting, but it could also be in skydiving or something, you know, it's like, or, or racing a motorbike. But we watch them, and they're they're seemingly in control, but so close to the line of being out of control. And, and there's something exhilarating about that. And what I found with your Meisner workshop when I did it back in the day was that you with acting, um, you, you teach or you taught it in a way which showed me how to walk the line as an actor on that, like in a very practical way, like a very, a, a very straightforward replicable or repeatable type of way because what happens is if you if you just commit to the exercise you start to realize that you're on the line of what you can handle and it what i liked about what you did is you took it from a very foundational fundamental place which i'd never done before and you slowly added on layers and so if you were to think of it in terms of say you were getting on a motorbike and you don't even know how to balance yet. So first you're just trying to learn how to balance on this bike. And then, you know, then it's about, okay, well, I'm going to take a corner, right? How, how many layers of pushing the line of comfort and control are you going to get before you're racing around a corner, racing with other bikes that are also racing around a corner, racing at the top tier level that the best are racing at where at any moment you could fly off that bike and go skidding across the ground into a wall and you're not going to do that day one. And so I think that, um, one of the key elements here is that you put enough attention on the fact to know that this is what I can handle, but you're managing that you're not like going like, I'm going to make it look like I'm a better racer than I am. If you're actually racing, you're going to do the best you can in the race. So when I say putting attention on yourself, what I mean is not putting attention on how you look, not putting attention on how you're coming across, not trying to fake it, not trying to appear a certain way, but actually by doing it, the attention you're putting on yourself becomes very minimal. It just becomes, am I in control or out of control? And it's this reeling it in when you're out of control, where it's like, my emotions are getting the better of me. Okay. I'll pull it back in. A, a client of mine brought this example in, oh, this might help in the movie heat. There's a scene where Pacino is talking, you know, um, 
I think it's to De Niro, but he's talking, no, no, maybe he's talking to a different criminal. He's talking to a criminal. I, I can't remember exactly, but I just remember this moment. The moment was, um, he goes, uh, he flips out for a moment. He goes, I'm really intense, aren't I? Right. But he flips out and then he goes, I'm really intense, aren't I? Well, that was him as an actor. Um, like after running that scene, like, 50 times or I don't know how many times it was <laughs> so many times where he, they just couldn't get the scene, right. They couldn't get it. They couldn't get it. And then he kind of loses it. Like, give me the answers or whatever. And then he's, I'm really intense. Aren't I? That was him like doing it in a way where it even surprised him. And so he reels it back, but it's very true when it's actually made the cut because what's happening is I'm really intense aren't I, or whatever his line is there is actually ad libbed. It's not in the script, but it works in the script because that's him losing control and pulling back control. And so um, what I'm kind of talking about is that if you put too much attention on yourself, you're trying to keep control too much. And I think a lot of our complaints as actors learning acting in our younger years was that we learned all these control mechanisms but we didn't learn the out of control mechanism, which is the most important mechanism, which is the moment to moment, which is the, we didn't, that wasn't an, that is primary because those control mechanisms, they're very like patched on. They're like, you can look like you're doing a good job by thinking about the psychology of this or focusing on that. But if you just do the scene and you push the line and you really get invested in it, you will find yourself out of control and that will be exciting um, because whenever it becomes predictable, it's going to be boring. So the mm -hmm. out of control is what makes it unpredictable. So I don't know if that's a, <laughs> I don't know if that's a clear description of all this, because this is the stuff, like, I wish I understood this when I was younger because there's so much of the work that I did that was in control that I mm. wish I had the skill to learn how to actually be out of control because out of control is where the really exciting stuff happens. Yeah. Um, but that in control area, you can, you can knock out a pretty safe, pretty, um, you know, like a professional looking performance, but it won't be raw. It won't be riveting. It won't have yeah. the viewer at the edge of their seat, but it might look good. It might kind of work, but it doesn't have that oomph factor, you know? Um, yeah. And it's definitely not going to be something that people are really going to remember. It's going to like last with them most likely. Right. It's that yeah. out of control that almost like on the edge. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, like the, the, I think that in some ways the great artists um, are the ones who show up most prepared to be out of control. Yes. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what they do in, in moto racing. They do the same thing. They show yeah. up and, and they're, they're in control of that bike, but th like the best guys, they push it. Like, you're like, how are they like F1, same thing. How are they doing that? And then every once in a while they make a mistake. And, and when they make a mistake, it's, it's like deadly. It's like yeah crazy. Right. But they like the fact that when you actually see them at work, it's incredible because like you just, as a person that doesn't have that skill set, you're just like, I don't know how they ever got that close to the line. Cause I didn't even mm -hmm. know there was, I didn't even know you could walk that close to it, to it. Like I didn't even yeah. know that line existed until someone like 
greatly push the line of what's in control out of control you know yeah 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 um you definitely <laughs> have made me want to like rewatch heat again that's for sure Oh, it's a good movie. Now, I mean, yeah. oh, it's a fantastic movie. Especially it's, uh, because Pacino is like, that's one of the things that makes his performance particularly great in that. I mean, everybody's great, but like, he's so on the line, like so much of that movie. Yeah. I, I'm I'm wondering if it's because I remember there's a scene that he has with Hank Azaria in that one where he's just like, he's he, he's like a lunatic. And yeah. he like has this line where he screams at at this guy, or he's he's like, "And because she's got a great ass, or something like that." <laughs> like he just he loses it, and it's like, "Whoa, what's going on?" You can just see like Hank Azaria just being like, "What is going on right now?" <laughs> like I'm wondering if it's that scene. Anyhow, that's a side that's a side thing. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to mention uh, that just what you were saying made me think of was. Um, you know, our old teacher, Ted Whittall, who we've had on, on the show, definitely check his episode out. If you're an actor, for sure, you've got to check out that episode. It's a must. Yeah. Um, but he was telling me, he didn't even mention this, uh, on that episode. This was something that just came up in a different conversation him and I were having. And, uh, he worked with Gene Hackman. I don't think he'll have an issue with me telling, telling this story. Um, but he worked with Gene Hackman on some production. I, he didn't tell me what it was and I haven't looked it up, but, uh, he, Gene Hackman told him treat every scene like it's an improv. Like that was sort of his, his golden nugget, nugget of, of advice, I guess, you know, like treat mm-hmm. every scene like it's an, like it's an improv. Like you don't know what's going to happen because truly you actually don't. Yeah. You know, you actually don't know what's going to happen and and how do you move with that and and how do you how are you most open and receptive in in that space and how do we cultivate that? There is a direction I want to go with this conversation that that I'm realizing is related to this, but I don't know if now is the exact moment for that. Okay. Well before you do, and I just I wanna I wanna for our acting listeners for those people that are into acting and honestly everybody should listen to this episode because it's it's incredible but it's episode number 87 Mm. it's called our indefinable moments i had to look it up while we were talking because it's one of those things where i feel like if we don't actually point out which one it is people will be like oh yeah yeah i'll listen that later 87 our indefinable moments with ted whittle that is that's such a good episode especially for actors because yeah like i mean you know, a lot of what we're talking about today, like he was the person that taught me. He, he, he didn't teach me as much as he showed me or gave me the ability to see what was possible as an artist, like by helping me not be in control. And he gave me techniques, um, that actually facilitated being out of control in a, very interesting way in a way that you lose yourself. And, um, what I realized after working with him was how much potential is in all of us that is just so untapped and so unknown. Um, and I, I don't even feel like I've come close to it, but I, but I at least, I learned (laughs) (laughs) words, words Words. and stuff. Um, (laughs) 
I at least learned how to tap it. And it wasn't just in acting. It has been in writing. And it's also, I believe, has been in, in, in my filmmaking too, although I haven't explored that realm as much. But it's like the, the tools that he taught helped me to see that you could tap into something that was quite exciting. But but it also at the same time, when you when you actually gave into it, um, you're more in the tans of the muse as yeah. opposed to your own, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's I think that's sort of the, you know, that's the that's the thing that comes back to bite you in this in this thing of control. You know, it's like, yeah, you might be, you know, you might be able to exert some control over a few factors, certainly. Probably not as much as you think you can or as much as you would hope you you do. But it comes back to bite you because in in that effort to control, like you said, you limit yourself. Yes. As well. You're not just limiting other factors around you, but you're creating a limitation on yourself as well. And, you know, that's part of the thing of creativity and artistry is you're walking as you said again, that line, you know, you're you're taking that that line of you know, what you've sort of, what you sort of packed along for the adventure <laughs> and all of the unforeseen that lays ahead of you, yeah. you know, which is, you know, that's, that's the best that you've ever got, but it's an adventure and, and, and you have to accept that you, if you try to control all the things that are going to happen along the pathway and, and along the way, it's, it's going to be a pretty boring journey. You know, it's like, you're never going to, veer off on the beaten path you're never going to you know take in you're going to miss a lot Hmm. you're going to miss a lot and those things that you miss are are things that will reshape the way that you think will reshape the way that you feel will reshape yeah your understanding of of who you are and and your understanding of of life that all sounds like very grandiose claims as I'm saying no, it's, it. <laughs> it's absolutely true because you, when you're in control, you don't even know that certain things exist. You don't even know they're in the realm of possibility because control literally stifles all that. It, it literally knocks that right out of the game because if you were to engage with it, it would mean you were out of control. And if your number one goal is to be in control, which I think that most people naturally are trying to do most of the time, because it's just a, it's it's a good way to survive to be in control to be totally aware to be um to know how things are going to go and where you're going and what's going to happen is a smart intelligent thing to do in most cases but it's not interesting it's not always interesting and mm-hmm. and when we're talking about art and we're talking about creativity and we're talking about living that grandiose life of your dreams we're talking about doing things outside of that realm which means that you have to abandon this natural need to be safe. Um, an example I can use is right now I'm doing a survival course, like a nature survival course. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, this is with, um, you know, like a uh, military type of um, teacher. But um, it's very interesting because they're talking about how like, okay, <clears throat> the, the the most dangerous type of, nature adventure you do is the day hike and they're saying this because the problem with the day hike is that's the one where you don't assume anything is going to go wrong you assume you're going to be back by a certain time 
you don't assume you're going to break your leg or something bad's going to happen or a storm's going to come in or use all these things you think. Mm. And those are the most dangerous ones because you usually pack very light or pack nothing at all. And you find yourself in a situation and you're unprepared. Those multi-day hikes in a lot of ways are actually safer because you know, you're going for a few days. You're, you're, you're ready to stay the night. You're ready to, to deal with certain elements. Like you have shelter with you, for example, or an idea of how shelter will work. Um, mm -hmm. But they were talking about how um, when you find yourself in a survival-based situation, this is when you're dealing with something and you're a little bit out of control. But like, we don't make movies about people who do a day hike. We make movies <laughs> about the people who do a day hike and something goes wrong. And when you're talking about making movies or acting in a scene, we're talking about the latter. We're talking about you're, you're doing the breakup with your girlfriend, but it's not going the way you thought it would go, you know, or, um, the engagement or the, you know, so whatever, yeah. you know, we're talking about the thing that isn't normal, that isn't in control. So you, as an artist, you need to be, not only do you need to be aware of that, you need to be like, I'm also going to embody that and embrace that because it doesn't just ask me to know it. It asks me to live it. And part of living it is to somehow trick myself into being out of control because that's what's happening. I mean, no good scene, no really like, I mean, there are scenes that are bridge scenes that are normal scenes that are necessary to give context to movies and stuff. But like these really like profound scenes, these scenes that really like unpredictable scenes, they're not in control. Because when something is control, we already know how it's going to go. It's going to be a day hike. But what happens mm -hmm. is you're on a day hike and you end up on a week hike or a three-day hike or a two-day hike, whatever. But it's like more than you bargained for. And now you got to deal with it, right? And that's interesting. Yeah. 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 There's. It's like the thing that, you know, you'll watch and the thing that has you on the edge of your seat kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I think that there's an, another point, Evan, I just want to mention this before you do move on, but like you can totally go into a scene thinking, you know, how it's going to go, but you need to be willing to let that go partway through. And I think that if yeah. you're really engaged in the moment, it, it will, because there's no way that you know exactly what's going to happen. And if you're being really truthful to that, you'll find out that partway through, okay, we're off the game plan, but now we're on an, we're on the adaption plan. We're on the adaptive plan of let's respond, you know, well, I and mean, let's deal with it. I mean, there's like one of the most absolutely exciting things for me as an actor that, that, you know, I have experienced and, and, you know, on multiple occasions is that situation where, you're performing and you and your partner stumble across something <laughs> in the, in the midst, you know, like when you're in that, that place of such like committed presence and attention to, you know, the reality of, of what, what is happening? What is this happening? You know, that's going on right now between us. And, and when something occurs that, hasn't happened in a performance before that hasn't happened in a rehearsal. And suddenly you're like, Oh, <laughs> 
there's just this sort of thing like, where did we just go right now? And it's exhilarating because you're just like, it's like that level of attention just gets turned up an extra notch, you know, this aliveness. You're just like, oh, I don't know where this is going, but like, you're just, you can't wait to find out, you know, you can't wait to see where it goes, where it's going to take you. I mean, this might sound peculiar to anyone who has never taken acting before because it's like, it's like, well, what, it, like, don't you know how the scene is going to go? Like, don't you know? Isn't it scripted? Don't you? It's like, yeah. Yes, there, there is that element, but there's, there is so much that you, you don't know how you're going to get there. Is is the big thing, you know, it's like you kind of set out on a thing, you know where it arrives, but what happens in between is, is you have no idea because, you know, one of the, one of the old, you know, sage wisdoms of acting is, is that, you know, it's not about the words, it's about the life underneath the words, right? Which is what we're more interested in as the actors, because we don't have to worry about the words. That's, that's a kind of a funny thing because... And a lot of actors would disagree with me because they're like, no, it's, you have to, you know, people get really finicky about the dialogue. And I'm not saying you just say anything you want. All I'm saying is that the author has already given you the words. So it's not, that's the least of your concern. Yeah. Like you don't really need to think about, about the words because you've been given them. What you're concerned about is, is what's, what is the the stuff that propels those words? You know, what's all underneath that? And we don't know how the words are going to come out. Yeah. Like the line might be, I love you, but it doesn't mean you're saying it literally, honestly, yeah. like truthfully, I love you. You might be saying, yeah. I love you and I hate you underneath in the subtext. And in that moment, you might not know that until that moment comes up. And everyone who read the scene goes, oh yeah, at this point he says, or she says, I love you. Um, and it's like, in that moment, they actually said they hated them, but the words came out. I love you. And yeah. the context and the, and the, and the awareness that it could come out that way in that moment can be so profound. You're like, wow, I didn't even realize that this is what this scene was doing. Um, and to kind of argue with the point um, against the whole, well, you have the words, you know how the scene's going to go guys, you know, you're going to die. So you already know the end of the movie. So, so yeah. what's the, what does it matter? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it doesn't, it, that's not it. And they're oh yeah, well, I don't know what's going to happen in between. That's exactly what an acting performance, a, a scene, or especially a play is like, you don't know what, you know how the play ends and you know how it starts, but you don't know what's going to happen. And you don't know what the ending's going to mean based on what happens in the middle, even though, these moments will happen. They might not happen the way you think they'll happen. And they might not mean what you think they'll mean until Mm -hmm. you get there. And all of a sudden you're saying, I love you. And really you're saying, I hate you. And you didn't know that that's what you would say in that moment until you got there. And you, you, you know, the really hard part about early on in acting, especially if you think that there's a way to do the scene is that you think, well, I have to get to this point where I have to do it this way. And that's a trap. And unfortunately, yeah. um, we're not all made aware of that when we start acting. And so we fall into these traps. That was something I actually learned in directing very early on, was that your job as a director um, is to look at a scene and find the trap in it. And mm. then you begin to investigate whether you fall into the trap 
or you avoid the trap or go against the trap, but, but every scene has a trap. And um, to further give this an example, <laughs> we had, oh my God, we had so many actresses come out for this one role in the show that I was doing. And this role was written is a female role, but it was written like a male and none of the women could really do it right. And it's like, what's missing? Something's missing. And then uh, this actress came in and she just got it. Like she, she saw the trap of the scene and it's, it's so well done that it like, I mean, it just, it's, she saw it like, like she saw it and she got it and she ended up getting the role, but we had seen it and tried to like coach other people. But the fact that she didn't give into it, like she didn't let the trap of the scene dictate how she would say the lines or do the line. She let the scene kind of like come out. And when it's done, when it's done right, it's like, you don't have a woman trying to be masculine. You have masculine elements of a woman coming out, which is fucking awesome Mm -hmm. because there's feminine parts of a guy that can come out, but the guy might not naturally know to have the feminine parts come out until he's in the moment or she's in the moment. And then all of a sudden they realize that based on the moment that it's not what it looks like. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I know I'm being somewhat cryptic about it, but like every scene has almost a predictable way and that's the trap. And yeah, um, I think there's, you can kind of like, as a director, when you, when you know the trap, you kind of go, okay, I can see what most people are. Basically what you learn as a director is I can see what most people will fall into and I can direct them out of falling into that trap. But um I don't know if you know what being out of it looks like. You just know that the way to do the scene pedestrian, the way to do the scene in a boring way is to fall into the trap. So you, all you know is this is the trap. Let's try to find ways to avoid the trap. And then mm-hmm. you see what happens, right? Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, that, no, I think yeah. so. Like the trap, like the way that I read the trap is sort of like, that's the, that's the cliche. Yeah, it's you know, the that's predictable. The thing that, yeah, that's what yeah. we expect, you know, yes. and, and God, Brandon, I th- I feel like you should be <laughs> shouting that message to directors everywhere because <laughs> it's it's like that's still something that I see so often is like, oh, my God, how well, many it gets times done all I the time, even on done all the time stuff. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, you're, you're just like, and it's so disengaging because it's like, yeah. eh, you can bring, almost bring be something, doing something else new while to you're, this. Yeah. Yeah. Bring something new to this. Like. Yeah you know, or, or explore this more deeply, you know, like, well, yeah, you don't have to know what you're bringing new and I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like, just don't go into the cliche. Just, 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 I see it and go, okay, we'll go any way, but that way, you know? And I think that, yeah, like, and, and really good directors, you know, they, they leave room for that sort of out of control, right? Like, let's, let's see what we can make happen here. That's unexpected and, and works with their actors in, in that way, you know, like, you know, you take the, the breakup scene, you know, in, in something, right? Like we've seen a, how many times have we seen a breakup, right? But how can you tell that in a way that expresses something so honest, you know, about 
that moment, you know, like I just, I love seeing that, you know, and, and it can happen in any sort of circumstance, you know, whatever the, the situation is of, of whatever scene. But, um, when I get this, this deep sense of, wow, like the, like the, the actors and the director and everyone involved with this, like they really went into this trying to to really discover and explore what is happening here what what would this what does this actually look like you know when this circumstance and this person and this person have been brought together and then that thing that happens between them like what would that actually be like what would that actually feel like and being open to that experience without predetermining what they think it is because once you've predetermined it you know once you've once you've decided that um that that's it then that element of discovery has gone you've lost that element of discovery and and you are in such great risk and danger of just playing right into that trap, playing right into that stereotype because you've, you've decided, yes. you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. you've decided this is what this is about and this is how it goes and whatever. It's like, well, then who cares? Like, that's kind of, that's kind of my, that's kind of my attitude towards it. Right. Yeah. It's sort and, of like, who, the then who cares? Um, I remember, uh, a, a, an actor, um, who took like a, a workshop that I did and he was describing a, a class that he had been in prior to, to coming into mine where there was so much sort of analysis, like the whole class was just about, you know, and it was a scene study from what I remember, you know, so like they were performing these scenes, but like it was, it was all about analyzing the text and interpreting the text, which is certainly, um, it's certainly a component of what an actor does and, and some of the skills you need to develop. But I remember him saying that by the end of it, his thought was like, well, why, do, why are we even performing this? <laughs> he was like, why are we even performing this? Like he said, we might as well just hand the script to any prospect, prospective audience member and just go, well, here, just read the script and all of the notes that we've, <laughs> that we've marked all over it. Right. Like what's the point, you know, and, and there's something, you know, I, I think it's, it's a more complex matter than maybe he was presenting it as, but there was also something I feel that was, that was very honest and truthful about what he was saying as well, because, you know, when it comes to the performance and, and the presence, well, it's like, we're not interested in seeing what you did on the script. I'm interested in seeing what you're doing on the stage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that like, so, and I, I related a lot to what he was saying. Cause like, I sort of remembered that at a certain point in time and in my own sort of life and career as an actor where, you know, that became such an important thing and the performance side started to really um, hurt you know, yeah. not just in, in it, both for me and for other people, <laughs> you know, it was just like it, because it's not about that. Well, it's not fun when it becomes all about analysis. And I think also, 
you know, when it comes to, to a scene, I mean, or a movie or a script, I mean, there is a certain amount of analysis that I think is important. I mean, I do think that there's a, a certain element where, you know, understanding certain things is really important. My experience um, in talking with actors and their problems with analysis is that analysis can be quite heady and it can be quite complicated. And what happens, I, I think, is that people put so much pressure on themselves to understand everything that it mm -hmm. becomes, I need to like, be able to write an essay on the scene. I need to understand it that well. And it's like, no, you don't need to understand it that well. What you need to do is you need to understand it. You need to understand it enough. And I think analysis is about, like, if you don't understand the scene, I don't think that you can honestly play the moments because you don't get what's going on. Like, I, I remember when I was younger as an actor, there was a lot of times where I didn't understand a scene. And and I, and it was hard because I'm like, uh, particularly with say Shakespeare, for example, you know, um, which I feel like I'm a much better grasp of now, but like there, you know, even with just basic scenes, you know, just basic stuff you get an audition for and you wouldn't, you, you, you wouldn't understand something. And this had a lot to do with just like lack of life experience and never having been in a moment like this or, you know, not being socialized enough to know. Right. Yeah. And that can be quite overwhelming and, and scary. I think though, there's a certain point where you understand a scene enough to get you through it. And then the rest of the psychology happens in the moment. You don't have to get it all. And, and I found this also with writing. With writing, you don't necessarily have to know the psychology about everything, but you need to know enough about what's going on. Like, you need to know that, like, sometimes you need to have the answer to why about some things. And if you don't have that answer why, which you could you could argue is analysis of a scene, analysis of understanding why two people are doing anything, um, you, you just don't have the capacity to be able to properly go from A to B to C to D to whatever, right? So I think analysis is is relevant. I just think what happens, particularly with acting, is people get overwhelmed and then they put all their eggs in the basket of analysis and that becomes the problem. I think analysis is very well paired, like a side dish to presence. You know, it's, it's a mm -hmm. nice side dish, but it's important because you need it because if you don't have it, there's something missing. And sometimes that that you know like when you when you say have a plate of food at least in say north america let's use this example you, you'd probably have three items you'd have your main you might have two sides you might have a drink um and then you might have uh, an appetizer and you might have a dessert and and if you look at acting kind of like a meal right and that's only a three course kind of meal but you could make it a five course meal there's all these elements that add to it but the main dish is presence right Mm -hmm. But if it's just the main dish, if it's just the steak on a plate, it's like, yeah, that can work, <laughs> but it's really not dressed up very nice. And analysis, like it, it's kind of the, it's kind of one of the appetizers, it's kind of one of the parts that make the whole meal. It might even be the tablecloth and what you're eating on, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's kind of a part of the, like mm -hmm. the difference between eating a steak in a dark dingy basement suite with no lights and eating it at a five-star 
or whatever four star i don't know how it works but like dining experience with like waiters and tablecloths is a different experience and analysis closes the gap between the you know that reality and it makes mm-hmm. that reality um you aware of it right because that's important but but once you're aware of it then you got to go back to presence so i just think that yeah when you rely on a when you rely on um uh this this tool of breaking it all down i think a lot of actors do that but then they don't have moment to moment presence acting and it's like yeah you got all dressing and no meal <laughs> yeah yeah or i i was going to say it's like you know in terms of like you know you got the setting it's like it's like yeah going out to a nice restaurant that doesn't serve any food yeah that um, that's a good example that's a great example of how that would work yeah, yeah, it's like going out to a nice restaurant that doesn't serve any food, and you're like, "Why am I even here?" It's yeah. you know, because because all the dressing is filled in, but the the meal isn't there, and then you're yeah. like, "So you need the meal. The meal is the most important thing." Yeah, that's the reason you're there. That's the reason you're there. ultimately that is the reason that you're there. Everything else is is very nice, and it helps add you know to the to the whole flavor, yeah. I guess, in a certain way. It adds to the yeah. Um, for sure. I like that. Funny, funny analogy. It is. It is. (laughs) But but, I think it's helpful. Yeah. I think so. You know, that's a fun one that we just kind of stumbled on. (laughs) We're Um, all about those analogies. Yeah. Well, you know what? Normally we do. Let's, let's talk about the beer quickly and then we'll, and then we'll shift some, some gears here maybe for a second. Um, I'll go. Yeah. Uh, I'm just drinking, um, one from Red Racer. And uh, it's just called Lager. <laughs> <laughs> it's just called Lager. They have another one that's called like their beer, I think their beer league Lager. This is not that. This is just Red Racer Lager. And they're uh, they're based out in uh, Surrey, BC. And they do a lot of fantastic stuff. And it's it's good. It's, it's a lager, man. Like, what do you want? It's summertime. Nice. And it's, uh, it's fresh. It's crisp. That's what it's supposed to do. I like it. Well, I'm having a lager as well. Oh, this, this one's called Butterfly Flower Lager, and it's by Whistler Brewing Co. Um, and the can kind of matches my shirt a little bit. But what's funny <laughs> about this is it says "Be kind," and there's a sticker, and it says "Peel it off." And I don't know if I'm going to be able to here. I'm going to try, but there's something. Oh, there we go. It says. So it's just telling you about. <laughs> Sorry, what what does it say? What does it say, Brandon? The United Nations shared this rainbow by Sarah Symes with millions of people in a global initiative to spread kindness. Use the sticker to continue the mission. <laughs> so anyway, I have a sticker now, um, and nice. that was on the beer. Um, I didn't know that until just now, looking closer at it, observing this beer. Yeah, but hey, that was a surprise. So there you go. But yeah, lagers are good. Summer, hot day. Gotta like it. Bam. <laughs> yeah, we're not in that crazy, uh, that heat dome. Is mm. that what it was from a little while ago? Oh man, record, yeah, record yeah, breaking heat. We were making, we were making headlines all around the world. Canada's in this heat dome. It was, oh, yeah. yeah, it was nasty. Yeah. It was nasty. Um, all right. Changing gears a little bit. And this is something that, I thought like, oh, maybe I would like to talk about, 
this today as a topic and, you know, maybe it would come into play or not. I realize that, that I think that this does have um, relevance to this conversation that we're having. Um, whatever this conversation is that we're kind of having, we're, we've been talking about control and, and, you know, leaving room for that out of control, being sort of gearing yourself up, being prepared for that out of control space. And I think that a big part of this, and this is something that I continually have to remind myself of. And in fact, it's something that I have sort of written up on my chalkboard of like important things for me to remember <laughs> for myself. And one of the things I have written is be nothing. Mm. Uh, so to provide some context to this, um, in my most when it in my most recent use of it, which was just yesterday. Uh, so I love teaching. I love teaching actors and and doing that. Before every single class, I'm nervous. I am nervous and anxious before every single class that I have. And then it starts and then it's totally fine. And, and it's just, it's just pure joy. Um, and it's sort of understanding that nervousness and that anxiety and that sort of be nothing thing. I saw it on my board, um, you know, a half hour before my class started and it was just perfection for that moment because it was like, oh, right, be nothing. This is all sort of this, like, the anxiety so often for me is this thing of, like, having to be something, you know? Like, I have to be some kind of, you know, um, you know, I have to be some sort of guru for these people, which is not something I actually want it's not something I actually want. And I think that this has a lot to do with what we're talking about in terms of that control out of control dynamic, because in that sort of my own process of, of, or pressure that I put on myself of having to be something, which is very, I would say for the most part is very subconscious, right? I mean, in fact, I would say that it probably has to be mostly subconscious because, you know, my be nothing mantra is really to bring that whole thing into my consciousness, right? Um, because it's like, oh, yeah, I, that's not something that I actually want to a certain extent. Uh, I don't want that pressure of being being somebody. Um, but in in the sort of be nothing, I can let go of control. Hmm. And I'm, I am a better teacher the more I remind myself of that, of that fact, or of that sort of, of that direction, at least, that I'm trying to take myself in. Um, it helps me to do some of those things that we were talking about, taking the attention off of myself. If I'm nothing, there's nothing for me to put my attention <laughs> onto within me. And... I'm better able to see what's happening with my students. I'm better able to hear what they're saying and what their challenges are and, and what they're confronting. Um, 
and I think that a big part of yeah the the that control element of trying to control and avoid being out of control and and sort of that that thing that we we do I think it has a lot to do with this this thing of of trying to be something I don't know what you think about that Brandon but I, I mean I like it I th- I feel like you kind of tied back to my first point which was attention being on anything but yourself and being nothing is kind of the point it's like being you could say be nothing i mean you could as much you could also word that as be an open or empty vessel you know yeah. be, be 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 what the moment asks of you you know yeah um, yeah and, and, and i think and sorry to to sort of like hijack you for a second, but yeah, it's like it, allow, it allows you to, to be what you need to be yes. by it's like, you know, by me needing to be, you know, this sort of pressure of like, oh, I need to be, you know, this great teacher for these people um, that creates so much confusion um, within me. But by being nothing, I am actually able or at least in in doing my best to keep that in check you know i'm actually a better teacher i am better able to be what i need to be for them in the classroom which i find very interesting and i've i find that the more i i sort of let go into that it's incredible how the flow of everything goes it's incredible how the flow of my class goes because suddenly all these things that i'm worried about you know oh i want to make sure that that you know this lesson comes up or that we get to this and we get to that they all kind of present themselves at the right time you know instead of me trying to force it and impose it upon everybody suddenly there's there's a something happens in the work that we're doing and, and everyone experiences it. And now there's the teaching moment, you know, now that that lesson can come out and everyone understands it on a deeper level. You know what I mean? As opposed to me just kind of shouting something from a mountaintop. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, avoiding being the sage on the stage, yeah. you know, cause I think there's, yeah. I mean, I, I think with, with everything, I think we all have a bit of a pressure for that, you know, to some degree, I mean, whether you're an artist or an athlete or you're running a business, I mean, there's a certain amount of like any type of competitive industry or, or environment, you know, we think, well, I, I really need to, I really need to show up here. I really need to be great. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, you know, what if, what if being great is not something that you control, you know? Yeah. What if it's yeah. something that you let happen? And what if, like, what if, you know, a crazy idea is what if you are great, but hmm. you don't let yourself be great because you're always in control. And this is kind of the lesson that I've been learning over the last several years, which I wish I learned when I was younger, but it was like, man, you have it all inside of you. <laughs> you already have it. You don't, it's not something that you need to go out and try and get or do. It's, it's there already. And what you need to do is you need to get out of your own way. And, um, getting out of your own way is a lot different than trying to acquire and get and do and act and behave. You know, it's, that's so much work, but if you look at it as like, okay, I'm already, 
like not from an ego point, not from an ego point of view. That's not what I mean. But like, if you look at like, I'm a human being, I'm this incredible creature that has, that exists in the world that has this whole like life experience, these desires, these things. And the only problem is I have all these things that are in the way of it coming out and, and truthfully um, expressing itself. And, or I don't, I have all this stuff and I don't know how to direct it. Right. So I think it comes down. I really do think it still comes back down to these two things. Presence is being undefined because if you're defined, you're not present Mm. because if you're like, this is who I am, you're not present because that's not who you are. That's who you think you are. And I can argue this 100%. This is my argument. Who you think you are is based on who you have been, which means that who you think you are is the past. It is not present. It cannot be because you could have been all your life a certain way. And in this moment, suddenly different, you know, you know, the difference between a murderer and a non-murderer is the murderer has murdered and the moment they murder, they have become the murderer. Now that they have become a murderer, does it mean that they will murder again? I mean, this is a question that we have in society, right? what do we do? Mm -hmm. Is a thief, a thief is a cheater, a cheater, you know, are these people, these people forever? Well, once you've done it, you do have that blemish and you carry that blemish with you, but are you that blemish? Mm -hmm. Like, like, yes, the thing happened. Yes. You have lied, but does that mean that you never tell the truth anymore? Does that mean that you always lie? You know what I mean? Like, so I think part of the challenge of true expression is that we make mistakes and we live with them as though they define us as opposed to like, yes, this might be a mark on my character, but it's also a part of what makes my character great because through error, we actually rise. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I know I'm kind of talking around in a certain kind of way, but the thing is, is, being truly open is understanding that in this moment, you could be anything. And in the next moment, you could be anything. And your ability to choose the way you actually truthfully, authentically want to choose in that moment is more truly you than anything you've ever done. Because a lot of what you've done in the past, I'm not teaching this, I'm just sharing because I've learned this in my own life. A lot of what you've done in the past was not you doing it, but what you thought you should do based on what your parents told you, based on what your teachers told you, your friends might've peer pressured you into inadvertently, you know, whatever. But a lot of that wasn't you. So to say that's you now is absolutely ludicrous because maybe you didn't figure out how to make your own choices until this moment. So every moment that you decide I'm a totally fresh new thing that can live and make a choice right now is you finding out who you are, which is totally undefinable, which is nothing. So I like the way you brought that in because I actually think that is it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I've, you, I, I love where you, where you took that. And I've never really thought about that just in, in, I, I like that you brought in the word define, um, you know, that, 
that the present isn't definable, um, which like, I was just like, yeah, not like, in the present, you, not yeah, in the yeah, present, maybe yeah, not in, in, in hindsight, but not in the present. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. like, in that's that I never put the, but you said it and I was like, oh yeah, that seems so kind of obvious. The present is not definable because that's, you can only define something looking back at it, you know, and, uh, that's a, that's, that's fascinating, but it makes so much so much sense. So I like that you brought that in. Well, it was something I learned for myself because it helped me to free myself from who I thought I was, which if you would have met me in high school, I was a super shy kind of like bullied kid. And I had to somehow let that go. And yeah. when I realized, oh, that was an experience I had, but that's not me. That was just me at a time, but it isn't me because now most people know me. They know me as quite charismatic and quite, you know, sociable and they, say, you know, you're an extrovert. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. that's how you experience me. I'm not saying that's who I am, but if I don't let go of who I was or thought I am, then how can I be whatever this is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, and, and you know what? I think, I think there's, a, you, you have a nice way to do that, right? This don't be nothing can summarize everything we just said, but just be nothing right now, be an empty vessel, be totally open. And I, I, my course, right. That I've been teaching has been a lot about like, you know, what animates you, right? Well, Mm -hmm. when I, when I say that, I'm not talking about necessarily, you don't have to look at a spirit or soul or whatever. You don't have to look at it that way, but just look at it in this very simple, simple, practical way. If I was nothing to use your word, um, if I was nothing, what would I choose to be in this moment? What would I choose? How would I choose to live? Like if I was not barred or limited by any past and in this moment, and what you find out is that in this moment, you could, you might not have the talent or the ability yet to do what you want to do, but you could try. And if you want to, if you have the inclination to, then I say, do it because that is you actually finding out who you are in that moment. And you string enough yeah. of those together and that's, that becomes how people know you, but it still isn't you. It's just the yeah. thing you've strung together. It's yeah. It's like you kind of become in a bizarre way. You become more yourself than you ever, than, than you've ever been. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, but you're like, yeah, but what is that? And it's like, I don't know. Well, nobody knows. <laughs> I don't not know. Even, but... Not even you. Like that's yeah. the exciting thing about it. That's the, 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 but this is the thing, Evan, this is the, being out of control we try so hard to control even who we are. Yeah. We're trying to control that and say, oh, well, I am this person. It's like, that's control. That's what you need to let go of. That's where you're going to find out what you really are, who you really are, because who you are is undefinable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like otherwise, yeah, it's because we can get trapped in those things. Like, well, I'm not a person who's like this and I'm not a person who's like this. And, you know, maybe maybe there's some truth to that maybe you know but probably not always and i'm just thinking of this in terms of some of the rest of our conversation you know like you know we were talking we've talked a lot about acting in this episode and you know in that sort of giving up of control and that sort of being nothing because that is just a, a kind of important letting go i mean that's that's something that i i have a sort of a ritual um, before I do performance. I I do this thing where like I I um 
I kind of surrender, like I kind of go through this sort of surrender exercise um, that just helps me to just sort of like release any sort of expectations and ideas and whatever I have that I might be carrying around with me before, you know, I step up to perform. And that's a huge part of this is so that I can be that thing, whatever I need to be in the moment. I can get out of the way to allow this thing to happen. And when I do allow that thing to happen, uh, you know, we commented on the state of, you know, sort of this like, whoa, this like incredible energy and aliveness and whatever. And, and you know, that's in, in the space of acting and performance. But like there is that sense of feeling of feeling more you than you've ever felt. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of one of these bizarre things about acting that, uh, that, you know, actors really know about, but, you know, to shed light on anyone who isn't like, that's, that's part of why I think a lot of actors do it, um, is because it's just like, there's these moments where yes, you are performing and yes, you are pretending to be somebody that you're not, but somehow you feel so much where you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be. You know, um, and I think that these moments happen in all walks of life in in all sort of realms. You can trace these experiences of such incredible presence, you know, like you hear a lot of people who like do, you know, who, who love the festivals and stuff like that, you know, and like they go to festivals and yeah, sure. Some people are doing drugs and stuff like that, but you know, people commonly talk about experiences of just feeling so much like they are like at those events they were who they who they always hoped they would be and and always want to be right Mm. and that has a lot to do with this thing of like taking that attention off of themselves and being so present right and and doing that you start to actually see and figure out who 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 that person is truthfully underneath all of the layers of bullshit that we walk around with you know it's like oh there i am and it's like what is that i don't know but this is it well you know i think the thing with drugs is drugs <laughs> i think the thing about drugs is drugs, uh... <laughs> let me tell you about drugs Bevan. well look drugs like it's drugs are not bad but they can be abused they aren't like nothing is not no thing is bad we have bad intent we have bad behavior we have bad relationship meaning that it's destructive but no thing even if it is destructive is bad destructive things are not bad because sometimes destruction is part of what is 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 awesome and to deny destruction is to deny creation um, I'm getting on a soapbox here. <laughs> I already tell I'm stepping up on it, but listen, destruction and creation are they're they're a wonderful marriage of two ideas. And by embracing both, you gain the ecstasy and spectrum of both. Um, yes, drugs can be abused. Yes, um, some drugs are more destructive than other drugs. Um, some you might argue have been called destructive, but actually aren't destructive at all, or at least um, 
you know, they're as simple as just being a plant that people don't understand, for example. But to get into my point here, drugs make you uninhibited, which goes back to my point earlier, which is that most of the problem is that you're in your own way. Now, am I an advocate for everybody going out and doing drugs? No. But um, if drugs or if a drug helps you be uninhibited, it might be used with care and that might help you to find an avenue of self-expression. Um, I know that yeah. for some people with alcohol, you know, alcohol is not just like alcohol is a tradition. It's it's alcohol has been used for so long throughout cultures. It's so far beyond how we know alcohol today. Um, for example, hallucinogenics the same way. What they do is they uninhibit people and they help them bond. And if you use these things properly, if you use them with care, they can be quite effective tools to helping you find yourself. So for example, um, there's a, a guy wrote a book on this. I think it's called, um, I think it's called drunk or something like that, but it's something like that. <laughs> but he wrote a book on this and he talks about how alcohol traditionally, what it does is when you have a drink together with somebody, um, what's happening is you're both becoming uninhibited together and that's actually helping you bond. You know, we have a drink on this podcast. That's kind of actually how these podcasts kind of started. Um, if we do it mindfully, if we do it with care, we become a little bit more in, uh, uninhibited and we share some ideas we might not talk about. We might not be as open to sharing. And this actually creates more truth and more honesty. Um, so when I think about the festival world, you're having a lot of people, um, more uninhibited. And I think that's why a lot of people come away from those. And whether they do drugs or not, the fact that other people are uninhibited gives you permission to be uninhibited. And whether you participate or not, the fact that people embrace that becomes, well, why don't we leave this festival? And why don't we all live this way? And what happens is I think you come back from a festival and you realize, oh, everybody's inhibited. Everybody is so restricted. And I want to be open with them but they're just not open. And so you, you begin to have this experience of, okay, I would like to be fully uninhibited, but now I'm inhibited because I'm responding to the culture, which is actually fair because that's an honest, truthful way to be. I mean, even in this podcast, um, you know, I haven't talked about hallucinogenics or drugs or anything like that, because I've been honestly worried about what people would think. I honestly don't give a shit anymore. I'm like, you know what? Honestly, you can judge that. You can look at it however you want, but it took me a long time to get to this place to be able to say, look, um, drugs are not bad in and of themselves. I don't think so. I used to, when I was younger and I, I had the propaganda message, I used to believe they were, um, but I think they need to be used with care. And I, this includes everything. This includes drinking. Yeah. This includes it all. Just, just handle everything with care, you know, and they're tools. And if you use a hammer properly, it's an awesome tool. If you use it to smash yourself in the head, <laughs> it's not a good, it's going to yeah. be pretty deadly. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, you got to figure out how you're going to use this stuff if you're going to use them and if you even need them, because maybe you don't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brandon, I'm thinking we should wrap this one up. 
Oh, you can end talking. it on the drug comment? <laughs> well, no, no, no. We've got, we got closing comments. We've got closing comments I'm joking, here. I'm joking. I know, I know you're joking, Brandon. I know you're joking. I'm just fucking with you. I'm just uh, explaining for the people. <laughs> all right, yeah, let's wrap it up. I mean, okay, look, let me let let me do my closing thoughts, and then you 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 can right. have the last word. So I think what what I've kind of discovered as we've gone through this this talk is. I mean, it's it's reminded me and given me some clarity on this last point. And I do want to, the way I'll finish up this last point is, yeah, we got to become a little bit uninhibited. And this is not just in life because we want to find our true sense of self through discovery. But I think we need this for creativity. I think we need, um, we need to be a little less in control, a little bit uninhibited, a little bit more free and open to being nothing and to being a vessel for whatever um, is required of us in the moment. Um, and, and just my second point, and I know this kind of all came at the end, but I think in a lot of ways that last comment was kind of my wrapping up point, which is that as much as you're embracing creativity, embrace destruction and don't look at destruction as a bad thing. Sometimes something needs to be torn down so something can be rebuilt. And if you look at your life like that, like I'm this way, I'm this kind of person, I'm blah, blah, blah. Maybe you need to destroy that. Maybe you need to tear all that down so that you can rebuild whoever it is that you might be. Um, destruction is not bad. All destruction, no creativity, probably not good. But all creativity and no destruction, not good either because now you're not taking away the deadwood. Now you're not taking away the things that need to go. Um, that might go for friendships, that might go for old habits. So you got to figure out your relationship between uh, creativity and destruction. And I think what I'm kind of coming to with this conversation is that you'll only know that moment to moment. And by giving your attention to what matters right now, and by doing that, you'll know the answer. Do I destroy or do I create in this moment? And that answer will be clear. And you just honestly, authentically make your choice. Hmm. Good stuff, Brandon, as always. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just kind of reflecting on this conversation where we didn't really exactly know what we were doing. We kind of had some loose ideas and, you know, what what we talked about, what stood out to me. And, and obviously, I, control was a huge part of this conversation, which I wasn't necessarily um, expecting. Uh to come out but it was it was a wonderful conversation and it's just you know it's kind of it's in one of those conversations that's made me look at you know the the sort of art and and craft that I've you know spent so much time studying and pursuing in my life and and seeing all of these parallels that that kind of exist and you know that's that's I mean that's a huge part of this podcast and this show where we look at you know, we, we talk to artists and we talk about the arts and, and creative things because, you know, life is that creative, life is a creative act in and of itself. And by, you know, we, we can kind of gain these interesting little insights, you know, through, through the creative process and through, through the arts and just this thing of control, you know, and this this need to control. I think it's something we all need to really take a good look at. Um, 
and and catch ourselves, you know, in all the the big and little subtle ways in which we're trying to control things, whether that's the circumstances around us or the image of ourselves that we are trying to present or uphold or appearing a certain way. All of these are tools of control that that do nothing but to limit where we could go, who we could be from not, not even just that, but just discovering where we can go and who we can be and finding that it's probably a lot dis <laughs> discovering it's a lot more than we initially thought. Thanks for listening to the show. If you got something out of this, if you feel it improved your life or your journey in any way, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode. You can also support us on Patreon, where we have tons of great bonuses. You are the ones that make the show possible and help us to thrive. Thank you for joining us.